All right, we are already recording because Rebecca set everything up nicely. Woo! <laughs> I have a suspicion some of this pre-show talk is going to end up in the show. Yes. But I mean, I guess. Rebecca. <laughs> Hi, Rebecca. Okay. Welcome to season nine of Interdisciplinary, where we are discussing information and research. This season is support in support of our upcoming symposia within reach the quest for information and research. Early bird pricing is available now at the link in the show notes. So you should get it while the getting's good. And this show is brought to you by the generous people at ABMP. ABMP, Associated Bodywork and Massage Professionals, is proud to sponsor the interdisciplinary podcast from HealWell. Massage therapists and body workers who join ABMP get meaningful resources that make a difference in your career, including free online CE courses, online scheduling included with the ABMP Pocket Suite app, and comprehensive liability insurance that provides protection and peace of mind. Can't get enough podcast inspiration and information? Listen for the ABMP podcast with regular guest hosts Ruth Werner and Allison Denny. Discover why members expect more and get more at abmp.com. Another moment you've all been waiting for. We have two puns for you today. So I'm going to go first with my pun, which is according to research, nine out of 10 people don't notice when you replace words with random musical instruments. <laughs> if you have to rewind to get that one again, like 15 seconds back and you'll be good. I go like for that it. that one. <laughs> wow. <All right. laughs> I don't know if I could top that one, but studies show that people who suffer insomnia are really into their research. They won't rest until they find a cure. <laughs> you guys are on it today. Um, and it. that is our our special guest, who you may be familiar with from previous episodes. Special guest, would you introduce yourself? Hello there, everybody in Heal Well Land. I am Kathy Ryan. Hooray! Woohoo! Woo! Clap, 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 clap. Um, in a further plug for the symposia, Kathy will be speaking on day two of the symposia in February on the topic, uh, sounds fascinating, using research from other fields to create best practices for massage therapy. So if that's of interest to you, and it totally should be, you should uh, you should come on by and join us. If it's not of interest to you, we worry about you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of weird you're listening to this podcast, honestly. <laughs> but welcome. We're glad to have you. Hey, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. You know how much I love the Heal Well people and just so enjoy any opportunity that I have to hang out with you guys. We are excited to have you. I'm going to jump right into our wonderful list of questions because I imagine we will be chatting a lot. Um, so Kathy is uh, here for the research portion of information and research. So Kathy, how do you feel about slash view research? I'm looking for like the most touchy-feely esoteric feelings that you have. I love it. <laughs> not, it's I, not very nuanced, Kathy. No, it's not very nuanced, <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I do, you know, but it took me a while to get there. You know, I, uh, when I started out in massage therapy 30-some years ago, you, you know, it just really wasn't... Uh, a thing in massage therapy. So it took me a while to get there. But once I discovered how useful that information can be with respect to um, getting more consistently sustainable outcomes for patients, that's when it became really exciting for me. So, you know, I, I'm here. So I think it's really important. <laughs> how did you get started if there was a hesitation in the beginning? Well, it wasn't so much a hesitation, but back in the day, I mean, currently, massage therapy, education and training in Canada, research literacy is part of our entry to practice education. 
So new students are being introduced to research. Most schools have, uh, anyone who's a student has to do case study type of thing as part of their requirement to graduate. No, it was not the case back in the day. So it wasn't that I um, wasn't interested. I just was not aware that it existed, <laughs> to be quite honest. You know, it just really wasn't anything that was talked about um, in school. You know, we had books, obviously. So that was kind of the thing. You went to the library, you checked out a book, you know, because really the internet wasn't what it is today. Um, so it was the library. That was the be all end all. So I was always interested in gathering information that I thought would help support me in practice. But uh, research just wasn't a word that came up. So fast forward X amount of years and, um, <clears throat> you know, working away as a massage therapist and, you know, people would come in for, for treatment and they would feel great after the treatment. And two weeks later, I'd see them and it was like the same thing. You know, it wasn't really progressing or sustaining or whatever the case may be. So in my quest to try to figure out how can I better serve my patients? Am I missing something here? Uh, maybe something that we weren't taught in school. And the world, world, word fascia had floated around. I had an instructor who uh, had done the training at the Guild for Structural Integration, so Rolfing. Um, and you know he introduced us to this word, but really didn't get into it too much because as I'm sure you're all aware with massage therapy education, there's so much information coming at us so fast, get it crammed in in the time that they have you know, he had to kind of stick to the curriculum to get it all in. So we had what we needed to go and write our registration exam and be good massage therapists, given our current scope and all that. So the, the word fascia kind of floated around. And, and then I had an opportunity to do a, a workshop in, in some form of myofascial, not Barnes specifically, but that osteopathic kind of approach to myofascial stuff. So I took that workshop and then started to apply some of that in my practice and saw, hey, this is another element I can bring in that seems to be helpful for folks under these certain circumstances. So then, of course, the internet had come around by then and was getting on the internet, trying to find information. There was just nothing. And, uh, you know, eventually I found Robert Schleip and, and eventually in the early 2000s, he did his research stuff. And then um, because I had kind of hooked into Robert Schleip, was aware that the first Fascia Congress was happening. That was back in 2007. Um, so then I went there and like most clinicians there, we had our head blown off. So would you would you elaborate on that? We can just I was gonna ask anyway, so might well, do it now. Uh, and even like for folks who aren't fascia nerds, like you're like, oh Robert Schleip, blah blah blah. Like just like take a couple minutes to talk about like what a big deal Robert Schleip is and like his research and you know. <laughs> Yeah. He is, he, he, yeah, for those of you who aren't, you know, uh, fascia interested, um, Robert Schleip was a rolfer. Well, he's, I mean, technically, he still is a rolfer. He was trained as a rolfer. He's over in Germany. Um, he taught, um, and then he started the European Rolf um, Association or Society. I don't know the exact words. Um, and he was one of the organizers of the very first Fascia Congress. And he was, he kind of made, he was one of those individuals that made a transition from being clinician to researcher. So he went back to university after being a rolfer for many, many years, got what he needed, started doing research. Eventually, now he has his own research facility at Ulm University in, in Germany. Um, so he, he was one of those individuals along with Leon Chaitao that really got the ball rolling in the world of this fascia research Congress that has just become this incredible phenomena. And even if you don't, you're not really interested in fascia or connective tissue, one of the things that I really loved about this conference is that um, so much of the information is applicable to us as manual therapists or massage therapists because whether it be skin, muscle, tendon, whatever those tissues are, they all have a relationship with the connective tissue fascia. Um, and just understanding how our hands can have an impact 
on, on nervous system tissues. Um, we've just gotten so much more information to understand uh, how our work works. So about the Congress in general, um, can you describe it for people who have maybe never been to something like that? Um, like, as I mentioned, like most of the clinicians in the room, which we constituted probably 90% of the audience at that first Congress, it was really heavy in, you know, role for instruction integrators, massage therapists, um, osteopaths, you know, some, some physiotherapists as well. And for many of us in that room, we had not really been uh, enmeshed into what I would call, you know, really hardcore scientific research types of environments. So a number of the presenters were, were researchers, hardcore scientific researchers presenting their information. And I think many of them did a pretty good job of making it as palatable as it could be for those of us who, you know, really hadn't been sort of thrown in, into that, that pool. Um, so many of us sat there with a look on our face of like utter amazement at some of the things we were he hearing because it really, they were really starting to explain what we all have been visualizing and feeling with our hands over decades of work for many of us. So it's like, oh my God, they just described exactly what I feel. And it was just so interesting because in having conversations with the researchers, they didn't realize that they were, you know, putting these words to what our hands feel and, and what we visualize that's happening underneath all of there, what's going on in there. So there were, there were a number of occasions where these researchers are presenting their information and the whole audience erupted into like this pumping, woo-hooing, standing on our chairs. And I think they were really shocked or they looked to be shocked because I don't think that that was necessarily their experience when they would present at some of these, you know, hardcore, you know, scientific research kinds of venues. So I think they were just blown as blown away as we were for, for different reasons. I think they were just so shocked. And I think, you know, and, and in talking with some of those research after the researchers, after the fact, you know, they, they said for them, it was just such uh, an affirming moment to know that, well, they're sitting away in their lab doing ABC, um, just what that means out there in the bigger world, that their research is actually having some kind of impact for humanity, as it were, right? So for them, it was a really meaningful experience too. You know, this is some of the, the information that I, I had gotten from the researchers. I had the very fortunate position when I went to that first Congress that I actually went on a media pass. At the time I was a, um, a featured writer for Massage Therapy Canada magazine. So when I knew the Congress was coming, I went to the editor of the magazine and said, hey, you know, would the magazine be willing to let me go to this conference or support me in going to this conference so that I can cover it and gather information and then, you know, try to make sense of it and then do an article about, you know, what was important that came out of this, what's important to us as massage therapists. So because I'm wearing this media badge uh, and it was the first Congress so they were really excited to have any kind of, you know, sort of exposure. Uh, people were really willing to talk to me, but then I saw, you know, subsequently I discovered that people are just willing to talk to you at that Congress. And that's one of the things that I really love about it is that everybody was just like really open and, you know, excited to feel questions and, and really interested in why we were interested, you know, or really kind of, some of them were really kind of surprised by the questions that we asked. And some of the questions that we asked from, from what I understand also prompted further research. So it gave them and the researchers a new question. So when they went back to their, you know, places where they work, they're like, huh, you know, I never really thought about from that perspective, how this might impact that. So I think some of the researchers got some new, you know, uh, uh, information or questions that kind of fired them up when they went back to their labs or wherever they were working. I feel like this is such a 
a thing that we miss when people say like, how can I get involved in research? That like, when you go to a conference like this and you do what you just described, which is like, here's this thing that the researchers aren't even thinking about me when they did their research. Right. And I'm like, well, what about this? And I'm curious about that. And then these researchers who are like kind of in their research bubble as just like curious scientists who want to know about tissue have an even more interesting question to ask because they do want to serve humanity. Like there's a basic nugget of like, I just want to know stuff. But if the stuff that I learn can actually help other people, yeah, it's even more fun. And you know, that's a huge contribution to research to just say like, I wonder about this. And I think that if you could answer this question or point us in the right direction, it would impact thousands, maybe millions of people. And especially for us in manual therapy too, because as we know, a hefty proportion of research is being funded not by manual therapy or interest in manual therapy. You know, a hefty proportion of research is being funded by pharmaceutical companies or medical technology companies. So that's where a lot of the big money is at. So when you've got researchers who that's where their funding is coming from, but if in that funding, they can also answer some of our questions, that's awesome. You know, so let's cross pollinate in that way, right? So even though they might be researching a particular mechanism of action of, you know, fibroblasts and transforming growth factor, you know, with respect to collagen proliferation, they might be studying it for the world of pharmaceuticals. That information might still be incredibly um, important or valuable for us, which is one of the things that we discovered in that first pet fascia congress. Those things are really important to us and, and with respect to how we use our hands. When you say, so it's interesting because I feel like we've been talking a lot about jargon in-house and in the Healwell community and the ways that jargon sort of keeps certain people out and certain people in. And I feel like fascia and connective tissue air bunnies are phrases that keep people out and that they shouldn't. Because when people say like, well, I don't do fascial work, I'm like, then you must be a magician. Because if you're doing massage and you're not doing fascial work, I think maybe that word doesn't mean what you think it means. And so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, I mean, I know you could talk a lot about, um, but given our time constraints, like, do you find yourself wanting to say to massage therapists like, oh, fascia, I'm not into that. Like, Okay, like, I, you know, I don't need to like proselytize, but actually, you probably are more into it than you think. Yeah, you know, I'm going to go right back to the toe bones connected to the leg bone is connected to the head bone is, you know, so as massage therapists, you know, we talk about, you know, we're very myocentric in our education and training. So it's pretty much all about, you know, a lot of it's about the muscles, right? But, you know, we, it, nothing is an island unto itself in the human body. You know, everything has a relationship with something else. So really important for us to have a more broad spectrum perspective on how the bits and pieces communicate with each other and influence or interact with each other. And, you know, so, I mean, really, if we want to get really technical about the only thing I'm really touching is skin. You know, I'm I'm really not making direct contact with anything else on the human body, but skin. So why aren't we talking about skin? Because that's what we touch. Yeah. Right. So, so yes. So the impact with the skin can have an impact on the superficial fascia below the skin, which can have an impact on the deep fascia below the superficial fascia, but can have an impact on muscles, tendons, organ systems, you know, every every bit and piece type of thing and certainly a, a good proportion of that is really you know one of the things that i talk about as massage therapists is that um, a lot of what we're doing is our hands having an excellent conversation with someone's nervous system you know me developing um, a very solid therapeutic relationship with the client or the patient as well, I think is, you know, how I interact with someone for me is just as therapeutically important as what I'm waving my hands around and what these are doing, 
you know, so we should be interested in, in fascia and, and particularly this particular conference, because I've learned so much more about the nervous system attending this conference, which is a big part of what we do as massage therapists. I've learned so much more about muscles beyond origin and insertion. <laughs> um, you know, so, so even though it has the, the F word, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it is so much more than that. So, you know, I think it is really, and, and, you know, I'm certainly not one of those people that, you know, fascists that no, that's all it is. And, you know, that's all we should be looking at. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not that person, but it really, I think there's so much value in that research for us as manual therapists. Kathy, I was curious when you're talking about interacting with your clients, do you use the research that you're so excited about, not just with them physically, but do you share that research with your clients and say, hey, yes, so, you know, like this is what I've learned and this is how I'm using it to work with you or, you know, how does that work for you and in your interactions with clients? Yes, sometimes too much. <laughs> <laughs> is there such a thing as too much i mean really what's too much? <laughs> yeah you know and i'll preface it i'll say you know i i will ask clients look i'll tell them look i'm i'm a science nerd i'm i'm re i really groove on this stuff how much information would you like <laughs> i just come right out and ask them or i'll, I'll say to them if i get on a tangent and you're kind of like starting to glaze over, just give me the, the tea, the timeout. Okay, Kathy, pull it, pull it back in. So I just have those honest conversations with clients, but yes, I, I do talk to them about that because I think when people, I think one of the most um, important things that we can do as massage therapists is to help people understand how their body works and what are the kinds of things that will help it work well? And what are the kinds of things that might take them in the other direction that they don't wanna go? You know, the education piece for me is a really big part of what I do as a clinician. So, and, and I often do have people ask me questions, you know, well, how does that happen? And I'm like, well, you know, to my best understanding, this is what the research seems to say that this is happening here. This happens over there. So I, I do bring that, bring that in, but I do try to be mindful of not overwhelming um, people with my excitement. <laughs> One of the things we've been talking about is how information and research are living things instead of static things. Um, and that the way massage therapists tend to be introduced to these ideas is very much like there's this body of knowledge and this is what it is and you should go learn about it. And really it's more like a whirlpool of knowledge with lots and lots of ebbs and flows. So having been to all of those research conferences, um, I, one of the things I really like seeing, I'm doing a lot of reading to try and write this sort of retrospective of massage research right now. And I'll start with like something in like, this is an article from 1998. And then this is an article from 2002 from the same person about the same topic, but it's not the same article anymore. And then we get to 2007. And now the things that we thought in 1998, totally not true anymore, but now they're in 2007. Um, is there anything that really sticks out to you that was like, like just changed so much so quickly or so surprisingly um, in your experience? Yes. Uh, going to that very first Fascia Congress in 2007, I think one of the biggest aha moments for me was Dr. Guimberto's presentation. He's a, he's a hand surgeon from France. Um, and just a little interesting side note, he wasn't even scheduled as a speaker at that conference. I feel um, like this is totally like a in the room when it happened situation. I, I wasn't there, but I, I feel like I was there because I've heard you talk about it and Nancy talk about it. And like yeah. other fashion nerds are like, you would not believe it. And then like the, the room gets quiet. I know. And, and <laughs> he, he approached one of the organizers, Tom, Thomas Finley on a break. And he had his little iPad with them or laptop. And he said to Finley, you know, I, I'm here, I'm enjoying the conference, and I, ha I have some endoscopic footage of, you know, that I've taken with people's permission during hand surgeries that shows, you know, tendon sliding, would you be interested in seeing it? And Finley was like, yes, 
well, just to condense the story really quickly, Finley carved out a 20 minute space to get Guimberto in. So, and, and if you've ever heard this man speak, he's the most genteel, humble, lovely man. And so he, he starts his presentation and, you know, I have a little bit of uh, endoscopic footage. I thought you might be. And here's this in. crap you'll never see anywhere else. I know. And, so, <laughs> and yeah, exactly. Something no one had ever, to my knowledge, seen anywhere. And so he shows the, the footage of the loose connective that tissue that serves a sliding function. And when people move, how everything slides in there. That was one of those moments that we, like the audience, just lost our mind. Like that was one of those screaming, fist pumping. You know, I, to my recall, I even think Guimberto took a step back <laughs> because all this was coming at him. Like we, it was incredible for me. What was so pivotal, pivotal about that moment is that that was the moment that I started to think about the fluid environment around the fibers and not just the fibers, because as a massage therapist, I'm coming from the perspective of let's stretch that stuff out, let's stretch that stuff out. And I wasn't really even thinking of the concept of for movement to happen, things have to slide too. Now today it's kind of like, well, yes, of course, right? But back then it just, the concept just wasn't even thought about. It was such a revolutionary moment for me as a practitioner. And I think for, for many, many others as well. Well, and I don't, I don't know that I would say that today, the, the necessity of sliding is an, oh yes, of course, because I mean, I'm now 17 years out from massage school, but as we talk with people who are just newly coming out of massage school, that's still not how massage, that's not how tissue is being taught. There's still a sort of very mechanistic, what? I know. <laughs> um, well, and I wonder, I guess, so obviously the whole room goes like, whoa, right? Like just because this is something yeah. you don't ever get to see. But I feel yeah. like for me, like every time I, I do like a course with Gil Headley and I've only been able to do them online, I'm like, that's what's in there. That is yeah. not the picture I had in my brain. That is not what I thought I was doing when I was touching the tissues above that structure. Like, oh, everything I know is wrong. That's so amazing. <laughs> it is. You know, and, and it, you mentioned Gil and Gil was one of those individuals that, you know, Corey, you're talking about rewriting the article. Gil was one of those people with his fuzz speech, right? So his fuzz speech, you know, became like a phenomenon. It went viral and everybody was watching the fuzz speech and he was talking about all these fine fibrils that when he's doing dissection, they're all kind of matted together and collapsed and all stuck. And if we don't move more forms and then we get more stuck and, you know, the whole fuzz speech thing. And then um, he saw Guimberto's video, like the rest of us. And then he came back at the next Fascia Congress and even did like a, a thing at, at the end of one day called um, I had to rethink the fuzz speech because the whole concept of in cadaver tissue, there's no fluid. So everything is collapsed. But as soon as you put fluid in there, those fine fibrils kind of open up and they just create somewhat of a chaotic but um, functioning structure within that sliding sort of mechanism, right? So those are supposed to be there. It's just when you suck all the fluid out, it looks like they're all gnarly and matted together. So that's one of those classic moments where someone had to go back and say, okay, uh, I'm going to rethink this. <laughs> and now uh, let me talk about it this way. Yeah. I, uh, I saw at the ABMP fascia thing this year earlier and Gil, there was a recording of Gil and it was basically like that someone had turned on a camera and he was just doing his work and talking out loud while he was doing his work. And the, the process that he was going through of like thinking a lot about things and then maybe thinking about something else and then maybe pointing out this crazy, like wild thing that no one's ever seen before that I just kind of found in my lab. And then like, let's go look over here at these other things. And it was such a different experience than most conferences, which is like, I have slides and now we're going to talk about it. And then I'm going to talk at you. And instead to just watch someone in the middle of process, have ideas about their process was a great deal of fun. I enjoyed that immensely. 
you um, know, and I, I th- and he's, uh, Gil has presented at a couple of the, the conferences. And it's, uh, as I said, she's like an end of the day kind of, kind of thing. Like a, he has like an hour and there's so much joy and laughter in the room when he's presenting because he's so animated. And, and that's exactly, it's like, I don't know if the guy even took notes or anything. He just gets up there and does his totally. thing. He's, just, he's so brilliant, right? He mm-hmm. can do that. He, I'm not quite there yet. I still have my my slides and my notes and my talking points, but he's just so brilliant. He's just kind of like, woo, and takes you on this odyssey. It's uh, So if for no, no other reason, go to the Fascia Congress just to... Gil. <laughs> well, and I, I feel like Gil is such an incredible role model for how to interact with information. Like he just like is not, he is unencumbered by the desire for certainty, you know, like, <laughs> like I almost think that he would be sad if he felt like he really knew a thing, you know, yes. <laughs> Where the rest of us are like, oh, look at me. I know a thing. Gil's like, oh, huh. Well, that seems to fit my hypothesis. Anyway, moving on. Um, You know, and when something surprises him, he's like, that's amazing. I never would have. Holy cow. Now I have to undo like, you know, however many years of like, oh, I'll be back in a minute. I have to go rethink everything. And and there is like just a joy to it that I feel like if we could if we could bring that to our conversations about research and information, that spirit alone would transform the field of research. I think he's a, I think he is the ultimate example of how to interact period with, with cadavers, with information, (laughs) with other human beings, with yourself, with with yourself, with the world. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, so Kathy, that leads me to the next question of, so what is your favorite type of research to interact with? Medium type of research what what gets you that excited what gets me excited is any any type of research that informs my hands that's what really like jazzes me is is anything that i think is going to help me apply these in a way that's going to get better outcomes for my patients so i don't really have a type you know, that I really like a lot, like I'm a total nerd. So, you know, I've often joked about, you know, what? take me on a, take me to a secluded island for, for a holiday, set me on a beach with a cold drink and a stack of, of research papers, you know, in that genre of stuff that could inform my hand. And I'm like, see ya. Oh, this is so good. You know, there I am under my umbrella you know, having a grand old time. So, you know, I, I would say probably I'm a little bit of an anomaly that way. Maybe not everybody gets as jazzed about it as I do. Um, so yeah, so it's the stuff that makes me a better massage therapist. I mean, really at the end of the day, that's what matters to me. Well, I, I hope, I mean, I think that that joy is infectious and, and people, you know, maybe it will inspire people to, to go seek out their joy in research. I, I, ho- I hope so. You know, you know, I, and you know, like, a, like in a lot of people, I was a little bit uh, at first, but you know, I kind of got, and I, I seem to do this sometimes in life um, where I don't fully think through something before I just like throw myself into it. Um, and that was the thing with the first fascia Congress. I, I've like, heard about oh. people like you. None of us can relate. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, you know, I go, I, I contact the editor of the magazine and say, oh, I really want to cover this conference. I think would great be great information for my colleagues, you know, because I'm learning so much, just, you know, the little bit that I'm finding. And thank you, Robert Schleit, for your great website, somatics.de, because he was starting to post some stuff and talk about it so we could understand it. So I thought, you know, I'll go and I'll gather this information and I'll do like a research translation kind of thing, you know, like a knowledge into practice kind of thing. And then I get there and all this information is coming at me and like, ooh, some of it pretty heavy, heady information. And I'm like, oh crap, now I gotta make sense of that. <laughs> so it's kind of like, whoa, what did I get myself into? Uh, <laughs> and I, I can't, I think it was just prior to that conference, I did do a basic research literacy course. 
just so I it would have just a general kind of concept of what I was looking at. But I also want to note that because I went there on a media pass and I had access to people like Leon Chetow, who was incredibly lovely, generous, um, said to me, if there's anything that you're not quite sure, if you have any questions, just email me. Here's my email. You know, so I did. I, there are a couple of things that are they saying this or are they saying that or are they saying something that I'm not even, you know, clued into. So he was very helpful. So, yeah. So, you know, I didn't have a lot of research, reading, translation background before I went and did that. I just threw myself into it and then tried to figure out how to make sense of it. After that fact. Fortunately, I reached out for help. You know, I was not afraid to reach out for help. When, when you were reaching out to help, did you ever run into people who were, you know, for lack of a better word, like kind of the gatekeepers of information? I mean, we've, we've talked about that in the past of, of you know, ego gets in the way and, and I'm just going to hold on to this knowledge. Did you, was it, has it been your experience that people are, are generally really generous? That, that has, prior to the Fascia Research Congress, I would say it was much more difficult to get fascia information um the Rolf community was a bit tight with their information unless you had trained as a Rolfer, you know, and from a manual therapy perspective, they were some of the ones who were, you know, had some information to share. So I'd say prior to a little difficult. Once I got to the conference, I found for me incredible generosity. Jeffrey Bove was another one. Dr. Jeffrey Bove was another one who was incredibly generous with his his uh, having conversations with him so that I could understand better not only his research but how it connected with some of the other research so he was really awesome Robert Slipe was just he's amazing all the way around <laughs> you know he's another one that answered some questions for me and uh, and then eventually um, Julie Day uh, she's a physiotherapist uh, originally from Australia, but is now in Italy. She works closely with the Steckos. So Antonio and Carla Stecco, who are a couple of the who's who of fascia research. Um, she was someone I reached out to and said, hey, can I interview you for the for the magazine? Um, and she was incredibly generous. You know, I was able to ask her some questions from the Stecco perspective. So there there was so much generosity there which is, you know, one of those reasons why I kept going back. Like people were just so incredibly open and generous and wanting to talk about what they were doing. You know, for them, it was exciting to have an opportunity to, oh, you're interested in that. Great. Cool. Well, and I think that that's a, another, like, this is a place where scarcity sneaks in is that people think they've made a huge discovery and they sort of don't want to they don't want anybody treading on their turf. And it's like, nobody's going to do the same thing with your information that you did with it. And it only gets better and more interesting if we share what we've learned and then other people go, oh, well, if that's true, then I'm really interested in learning more about this thing. But if I don't know what you learned and you're only willing to like tighter out a little bit of what you are thinking about it, then we don't all get to benefit from it in the same way that we can when we're really like, look at this amazing thing I found. Well, I mean, I certainly haven't, encountered that kind of experience for sure. I didn't, didn't encounter it at the Fascia Research Congress, but as a massage therapist, I've encountered that within my own profession at times, the territorialism. And, you know, certainly I have bumped up against that. I don't have a lot of patience for it. Uh, you know, and, and for me as a writer or as an educator, I'm always really mindful of giving credit where credit is due. You know, I will say to people, look, I didn't invent this stuff. You know, which is why when Nancy Keeney Smith and I teach together, you know, one of our running jokes is you're not going to see smithing and Ryanization anytime soon. And that's not a slam to anyone who trademarks their work. But, you know, one of our things is, look, and this comes from Sandy Fritz's book, um, Fundamentals of Massage. Her and Leah and Chetow have a have a chapter on what they call therapeutic loading. And there's X amount of ways that we can therapeutically engage or load tissue. 
it's, you know, compression, torsion, you know, tensioning, you know, they go through these five or six ways that we can actually manipulate the tissue. So whether you're chiropractor, massage therapist, physiotherapist, osteopath, whatever, you know, really we're all doing the same thing. So it's not like, I mean, I have years of experience that I bring with my hands. So no one's going to be able to exactly replicate perhaps some of what I bring to the space, but nor can I replicate what somebody else brings to the space. I tend to think of that as more the art part of what we do and that your art doesn't look like my art and it never will and it shouldn't. No, Um, and art is beautiful. Yeah, and all of it's it's all useful in its own separate ways. And if there was only one kind, it wouldn't be art anymore. So, yeah. Well, and, you know, again, as an educator, you know, one of my sort of philosophies is the, you know, and what, and I, like, you know, kind of like, it's kind of like the Gil Headley thing. It's like, I get really excited when my, when students outdo me, it's like, oh, yes. Good for you. Totally. Good for you. That's awesome. You know, the students shall surpass the teacher. That's fantastic. Well, my next question for you then would be, what are you excited about for the future other than students? What am I excited about for the future? I, I mean, from, from a research perspective? Uh, well, yes. I just, I just want you to talk about Nuka, your dog, and how excited you are about <laughs> Nuka. But I guess maybe our listeners want to hear about research. So yeah, research. Rather than my adorable, brilliant dog. <laughs> Bear hunter. What am I excited about research? Um, you know, again, it goes back to Laura's question about, about you know, research is what type do I like? Well, it's the same thing I'm excited about. I think anything that helps us do better, you know, more consistently reliable, awesome outcomes for, for patients, you know, anything that helps support us in what our hands do. And, you know, as I mentioned, the therapeutic relationship piece is incredibly important to me as a practitioner. So in the bigger, in the bigger world, what am I excited about us being kinder human beings to each other, respectful, kind, respectful human beings. So anything that supports that as well. But, you know, I like, I think like most practitioners, I have questions that I want answered. You know, so because a big part of my emphasis in my practice is the scar tissue stuff, I still have questions about um, the changes that are happening or how our work is working. Um, <clears throat> so <clears throat> I just um, uh, <clears throat> did a podcast with a, a RMT colleague of mine here in BC, Erin Price, who her area of, of focus is oncology. And uh, I had mentioned to her a video clip from um, Alistair McLaughlin, who is a practitioner in Europe. He does a form of scar tissue work as well. And he has done some um, high density ultrasound video of before and after of working on, I think it was a C-section scar. And some of the outcomes that you saw is that initially, uh, you could see a very distinct sort of dark line on the uh, ultrasound screen, and the radiologist who was, you know, reading the ultrasound radio, the ultrasound tech, um, was saying, "This is that. That's the scar. Where you see the darker line, that's the scar. You can see how deep it goes, and um, and then." Alistair did, I think, 15 minutes of work, and then they showed it again. And you could see that the scar wasn't as visible. You know, it just, there that dark line wasn't as prominent. And there was just a, a small area of darkness up near uh, the skin surface. And as well, you could see areas that weren't getting much blood supply. You could see more vascularity going in and around the scar. You know, so Aaron and I were, were kind of having an email exchange about that. So like, you know, what happened there? And, you know, Aaron's comment was, well, the scar didn't vaporize, didn't disappear. 
you know, it didn't just go away. There's still some tissue there. So what the heck happened? You know, so we were kind of thinking through, you know, what's the possibilities of what could happen. And then I was thinking about this research that I saw from Dr. Helga Pohl over in Germany, where she did a similar thing, um, where she was finding these areas of density restrictions in the tissue. She's a physician, but she's also trained as a massage therapist. They do that in Europe. Um, and she uses a technique that she calls modified skin rolling, which looks a lot like the lifting and micro shearing that I do with scar tissue work. So I got really excited when I saw her stuff. And, and she did this ultrasound thing that showed uh, like the collagen fibers in the skin in the area where it wasn't, you know, there was, she felt no restriction. She kind of did sort of a comparison. She worked on the non-affected area and there was no change, but in the affected area, when she revisualized the collagen, the strands of collagen got bigger, they plumped up. So theoretically, given what we know about fascia, it was there was a fluid change, you know? So this compressed dense strand of collagen suddenly became more juicy. So, you know, Aaron and I were talking about, you know, Alistair McLaughlin vaporizing scars, but perhaps what happened is the reason why it was so dark is because it was so dense and compressed. And then when it got plump and juicy, it was less visible, you know, so we we're talking about, and with the vascularization, because the tissue was so compressed and, and, and tense, perhaps the blood flow just couldn't quite get there because the vessels, the capillaries were being like squeezed in this tight tissue, you know? So it got us thinking about what exactly is going on in there. So those are some of the questions that I would like to have answered. So when I, when I'm thinking about what am I excited about the future of research, perhaps we'll start to get more clear answers because we can theorize, you know, physiologically plausible given what we know so far, we can kind of put one plus one should equal two, but you know, these are the questions and this, those are some of the things that I'm excited about research. So those are a couple of the questions that I have. What's going on in there? Just a couple of questions. Just a couple of questions, simple questions. That's right. I feel like we think about it as one plus one equals two, and then you learn something new and you're like, oh, that one wasn't a one, it was a seven. <laughs> Exactly. It was just drawn terribly. And now what, what now what am I going to do? <laughs> My answer is totally different. Excellent. Let's start all over. <laughs> yep. Yep. Back to the beginning. I, I want to point out to the listeners the sort of the like circular nature of what Kathy just described of like learning something and then learning something new and then going back to something and then learning another new thing and then going back to that one and um, how many layers of information are utilized when she's thinking about problems or thinking about theories and that that kind of information isn't something that you are born with and it is not something that is given to you and it's certainly not something that's going to be given to you in entry-level massage school because as we discussed earlier there is no time for that so if you're just starting out on this research journey, don't assume that you're going to think that way. It takes time to build up to that and no one is expecting you to do that. <laughs> and and if Kathy was talking about something that she wasn't so deeply invested in and sort of a different topic, then she wouldn't have so many layers to draw on either. So you don't need to be a fashion nerd necessarily. Maybe you're a nerd about something else. And that's great because we need all of the nerds all of the time and preferably in the same room and preferably having conversations with each other. So don't be intimidated. Just go get it. Well, and just I keep thinking about what, what Kathy just said earlier about cross-pollination. That's, that's where all the excitement is coming from. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that has been the most, one of the most helpful things for me has been to get to know who the other nerds are you know, and reach out to them and have a conversation with them because what their interest is, is slightly different than mine. But, you know, I, I grasp enough, you know, I think part of what has been helpful for me too, is I taught um, at one of the massage therapy schools here in Canada for, for five years. I was, a, you know, the entry to practice stuff. So it gave me a really good foundation for as massage therapists here in Canada, what do we need to know? 
you know, so I, I kind of have a sense of, well, nerves are just as important as blood is just, you know, so I kind of have that to begin with. But, you know, so going to these conferences, you get to know other nerds um, or, you know, by some incredible chance, you go to the massage therapy, um, the uh, Massage Therapy Foundation um, International Massage Research Conference, and, and you get introduced to Cal Cates. And then you find another whole world of nerds that, you know, so one of the most important things for me about these conferences is that you get to meet all these other people who are really interested in being really amazing human beings and amazing massage therapists and putting the two together. So that's been incredibly valuable for me is the connections that you make when you go to these conferences. So if I have questions about nerves, I have people that I reach out to for nerve information, or if I have questions about pain, I reach out to people that I know that that's a real emphasis in their practice. Or if I have questions about oncology, I've got a great network of, of resources of people. You've got a whole clown car of nerds. I do get a whole clown car of nerds. So it's not like we have to know all those things. I just, for whatever reason, early on in my career, the word fascia just kind of stuck. And that's the avenue that I took. Um, and that's what's given, you know, as, as Corey said, that is what's given me the opportunity to take this deep dive and swim in that pool for a really long time and start to, you know, because it took me probably, um, I think it took me a few months after that first Congress to put an article together. And it wasn't a long article, it was a short article, but it took me a few months to kind of get enough of a concept together that I could convey information that was both accurate, as accurate as it could be given the information that we had. Um, and then it took me another year and a half to digest the rest of the information that was presented at that Congress, just in time to go to the next one and have more information and then the next one and have more information and, and, and then go from there. I always have the experience that the first step is the hardest, um, especially with information and topics. I started reading about implementation science this year and the first article that I read um, was terrible. So I had to go to a second article, which by the way is part of the process. Um, and the second article I found was amazing, but it was six pages and it took me three days, I think, to read the whole thing by myself with my highlighter. And I had to keep going back and forth and back and forth. And by the end of it, I had a much better idea of what was going on, but it felt like eons trying to read this relatively short article. So that first step is a doozy. Like... It's a it long is, way down that first one. Doozy. And I'm someone who loves a highlighter and, you know, spending hours with that kind of stuff. Not everybody does. So there are other resources out there that do all the heavy lifting. So if you're, if you're interested in getting the information, but you're not so interested in the process, that's okay. You know, not everybody is, you know what? And that's okay. So I've got a couple places that, you know, sometimes I, I need the, the down and dirty um, quick, you know, sort of bit of information. So, you know, one of my resources that I use is the, an RMT colleague here in Canada. His name is Richard Liebert. He's in Ontario. And he has a website called the RMT Education Project. And his, his thing is pain. But he also did a number of articles on how does our work work? Like, how does massage therapy work? So if you don't really want to do the heavy lifting with your with your highlighter and your cold drink on a on a beach somewhere, then there are other people out there like myself who likes to do this kind of stuff that will just kind of give you the goods, you know, so that you have this information. So so I think my biggest thing is um, really is about evidence informed practice. Research and science is one of the pillars. It's one of three. The other two are um, clinician experience. So the skill and experience that we bring into the treatment room. And then the third one is the patient and, and their information and their input about what they feel they need, what their goals are. So that is evidence informed, you know, because I, and I'm sure this is probably true for you guys as well. I've learned so much from my patients. 
just, and I have been absolutely like just gobsmacked for lack of a better word. When someone describes to me what they're feeling inside their body and it exactly matches physiologically what kind of I understand to be going on. And, you know, this is someone with no, you know, not a, a science person, you know, yes. <clears throat> and they can, they're like, I feel this, 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 and this. And I'm like, oh my God, you are a genius. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so so there's a lot, there's lots of ways that we can learn um, and gather information. You know, research science is one of them for sure, but certainly paying attention, being present, paying attention in the treatment room to what I'm feeling, what I'm noticing, and and listening to what the patient is telling me. I've learned so much listening to patients. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. Does anybody have anything they'd like to add? Or Kathy, is there anything we didn't ask that you wanted to chat about? Oh, yeah, lots, but we'll cover that in February. <laughs> yes, um, and oh my gosh, seriously, come <laughs> to the symposium and listen to Kathy talk about how she does that Vu does that she does. Never mind. You know what I mean? She's going to do her Kathy so thing good. and it's going to be awesome. Um, I'd also like to put in a quick plug that Kathy is going to be teaching a SCAR class for us in 2023. So Yay! if you keep on the lookout details for that will be coming soon so if you are very interested in the scar stuff that she was talking about which i was um you can have a class with kathy this summer Woo-hoo. right in arlington virginia i believe Correct. so boop, boop. okay well i was just thinking kathy hearing about you talking about your love affair with highlighters and i was thinking you know your yours and nancy's scar book you know, if I were to go upstairs and get my book and show you, it is a rainbow of highlighters. And that, that was my, you know, talk, going back to talk about first steps is a doozy. I can remember opening up that book and going, holy bleep, what have I just gotten myself into? Turn I off the fire you, hose. Love you, Laura. <laughs> and it's so worth it. It's so totally much fun diving in so you not you not only bought the book you used highlighters in it oh yes yes (laughs) so so anybody (laughs) out there who's you know take the plunge it's worth it you know find that thing that you're passionate about and plunge dive in and and bring some highlighters bring some yeah or or like i say find those people who are doing some of the heavy lifting who are you know like till lukow writes some great articles or he does some of the research translation stuff um you know there are many people out there that are are, you know will translate some of this stuff uh yeah go there gather information there there will be a presentation at our wonderful conference in february in fact about information translation from ruth warner and nancy steinberg Yay. And talk about how they do what they do. Woo-hoo. We're so glad that you're you're friends with us and that you're on our in our in our clown car, Kathy. It's amazing. Oh, it's nerdtastic. I, I I'm so grateful for Nancy's presence in my life for so 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 many reasons, and one of them is the day that she introduced me to you, Cal, and all the fine folks at Heal Well. That's just. You guys have been such a gift in my life. I thank you so much. Ditto. I feel like we could talk with you all day. Totally. Hey, hey, if we're we're if we're talking about massage therapy and anything related to massage therapy, I can talk all day. <laughs> I mean, that's you know, like in addition to the scar class, you're coming to like Heal Well HQ if you come to the scar class in the summer. So you get to see like critical mass of the nerd bags in the nerd clown car so really you should get your butt out here and we'll talk about all the nerdy things together oh i mean really does it get any better to be like at hilo you know hq with all the nerdy nerd bags in the clown car i think that's how we have to market the course is like totally come join the clown car <laughs> Come get get in with all the nerdy nerd bags in the clown car at Heal HQ. I can boom. Corey's Cor- smoke's got smoke coming out of her ear. She's already right. up. I was like, I was like, Scar yeah. Class with Kathy Ryan. Parentheses the clown car arrives. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Now, totally. now I'm gonna find a clown car to put on my slides. That's gonna be amazing. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> yes.
Yay. Thank you, Kathy, so much for, for loving us and for everything you bring to the profession. So valuable. Uh, my pleasure, my friend. Likewise. Insert ending things. Thank you, Rebecca. Ta-da! Woohoo! Awesome. So much fun. Thanks, kids. Hey, thank you so much. That was fun. Mm-hmm. I, I just I love hanging out with you guys. You know, I know. It's so fun. The whole you living really, really far away is... It sucks sometimes. Yeah. It does. Maybe he will need to do a retreat in Smithers someday. Probably. Right. During, hi- during, hi- during hiking season. Yeah, we'll come in the summer. Late summer. Yeah. Cool. Thank you for listening to this episode of Interdisciplinary. We want to hear from you. Send us an email at podcast at healwell.org and sign up for the conference today. The link is in the show notes. Interdisciplinary is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. New episodes are available weekly through your favorite podcast outlet. Uh, and you can send us an email at podcast at healwell.org. That's podcast at healwell.org. Thanks for listening.